Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. And I'm excited to have Kevin McArdle, who's the founder and CEO of Showswift Capital, a private equity firm that buys and builds SaaS companies. Showswift Capital gives dream access to SaaS founders and through their uniquely entrepreneurial approach. A few of the companies include Charge Stripe, uh, MySide Auditor, and many more. Uh, welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, 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 you know, you you got into the corporate world, and uh, you you now run a source of capital. How did you get into into private equity? Uh, well, I had had a nice long career in corporate America, and I realized a couple of things. One, I was I was getting a little bit bored and a little bit frustrated, and I had um, went to business school along the way and realized that um, the people creating great wealth for themselves weren't comic book superheroes. They were just, you know, people that were, you know, smart and willing to work hard and had a good idea. <clears throat> and so uh, I had always sort of dreamed of owning my own business. And then, um, you know, that coupled with being a little bit burnt out on corporate America, uh, ended up having the opportunity to start what now is SureSwift with a, with a business partner. And um, it was a pretty easy decision at the time, just given that that, was, that had always been a goal of mine. And the opportunity presented itself and I was ready. You know, they say fortune favors the prepared mind. And I, I had been sort of preparing myself to leap out of corporate America for a long time. So that's how I ended up in what we is technically private equity, but I didn't even think of it as that at the time. It was just sort of like, we're going to pool some money and buy some successful businesses. And yes, technically private equity, but we didn't even really label it that at the time. Correct. So, so when when you started, was it more like you know putting in your own private uh, pri- uh, own uh, capital and buying those SaaS businesses? Yeah, yeah. It was myself and um, four partners just pooling our own capital. Uh, the other four are more passive investor types, and um, I'm the active one managing the portfolio. So they put in more capital than me. But yeah, we we pulled money together and just started buying successful online businesses. Got it. And, and how did you go about finding such, you know, uh, SaaS founders whom you could, you know, buy the SaaS companies from? Uh, well, pretty early, I found that there was a fairly robust broker network of people who specialized in online businesses. And a lot of your listeners will probably, you know, now be familiar with that same thing. But at the early stages of the business, I didn't realize that was out there. And so that gives you the opportunity to join a bunch of email lists and see a bunch of deals. Um, over time, we've had more success connecting with founders more directly, either in online or in-person events where people tend to congregate and share ideas and try to help one another succeed. And over you know, the course of almost seven years now, we've built up a reputation where you know, when somebody decides they want to sell a business, you know, they, they typically know how to find us. Or if they do a little bit of searching of like who might buy a SaaS business, we typically will will show up in that search and people will reach out to us directly. So we rely way less on brokers today than we did in the early days, but the brokers at least gave us, uh, you know, a, a path and a funnel to start looking at a lot of deals and, and making acquisitions where it felt like a fit. Got it. And uh, when you started off, uh, did you, uh, did you focus only on bootstrap SaaS companies or were you also focusing on, you know, tired to consumer and e-commerce companies as well? 
Uh, we, we just focused on profitable businesses. So therefore, we looked at a heck of a lot of different things. We zeroed in quickly on bootstrap businesses because um, through conversations with founders, you know, it happened two times pretty early where myself and the founder had agreed upon a price and a deal that we both felt good about. But then the deal got blocked by a minority ownership angel investor. And so, you know, we, we now communicate and talk to bootstrappers primarily. It's not a hard and fast rule. If there are investors on one's cap table, we're not going to walk away from that. I just learned like, you got to pretty quickly get to ask the question of who gets to make this decision. And, you know, do we need to be talking to all investors at once or can the founder really chart their own path and make their own decision? And, you know, uh, since you've bought, uh, you know, a bunch of companies in the last couple of years, uh, or do you uh, do you also keep the operators uh, in the company or once you, once you buy the company, uh, do, you, do you let the owners, uh, you know, go separate ways? Yeah, it has happened a few times where the the seller of a business or the founder will stick around and, and join our team. <clears throat> Most. Most of the time, though, when a founder finds SureSwift and they're ready to sell, it's because they want to move on to something else, either a new project or they just want to, you know, take some time away from their business. Um, so it's the it's the rare occurrence when the founder sticks around and, and joins our team. Usually, we ask them to help transition a business for three to six months, and then by that time, we've had uh, enough time and opportunity to hire somebody to replace them. And we have, uh, you know, a good handle on the business and, and we, we part ways and just remain um, long distance friends. So some of my, some of my favorite uh, people in real life and online are, are those who have sold to us and we continue to just kind of stay friends and celebrate one another's success. Well, that's, that's so interesting. And, uh, you know, what are the, some of the requirements that a bootstrap company founders uh, need to fulfill in order to qualify for, uh, for social Social capital. Yeah, we like um, you know typically businesses that have you know, annual recurring revenue of at least two hundred fifty thousand US dollars, um, and and up from there. Uh, we just found that you know businesses that aren't quite at that level maybe need a little bit more uh, attention than we can give them, uh, and maybe haven't really proven their long term sustainability in in their given market. Um, and then beyond that, we only buy profitable businesses. We don't buy businesses that are break-even or burning cash. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. That's just not our model. Um, and then, you know, the criteria get further refined from there. You know, we're focused on business-to-business SaaS. Uh, and then beyond that, we, we have a very um, uh, wide open funnel on, in terms of like the businesses we're interested in. Like we don't have to focus on a specific business niche or industry um, we don't, we are sort of tech stack agnostic. We've bought businesses with all different types of tech stacks. So pretty broad base. Once you get through those first few filtering criteria of size, profitability and B2B SaaS. Uh, and you know, what, what is your SaaS company buying process? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you go about, you know, uh, how much time does it take for you to, uh, contact and, you know, buy the, buy the company? Um, it, it depends on the, the seller and the business. So, um, I know some people that buy businesses like us pride themselves on 
we'll make a decision in a week and close within 30 days. I just think that's not very smart, you know, to, to hold yourself to that commitment because a lot of founders aren't ready to move that fast. Uh, and a lot of businesses require a little bit more diligence than you could possibly do in a week. So um, we let a deal take as long as it needs to take, you know, we've the fastest we've ever closed on something from first introduction to closing was two weeks, which was pretty fast, but the seller was um, motivated to sell and we were motivated to buy. And in that case, it, it was a relatively straightforward business. Uh, but that's definitely the exception to the rule. Typically, it would be you know two to three months from the time that we have a first introduction to a founder until we're um, closing on a business. And that generally is enough time. But if a founder needs more time to make a good decision, then we're not going to rush the process. And, and uh, do you get to decide, you know, how many businesses are you going to buy in a particular quarter or in a year? Do you, you know, what is the decision-making process when it comes to buying businesses? Uh, we don't put um, limits and we don't set quotas. So uh, by that, I mean, you know, we don't enter a year saying we have to buy X number of businesses. If there aren't great businesses to buy, we don't force ourselves to make acquisitions. Uh, you know, functionally and operationally, we can probably close on a business about once a month and not probably, we have done that pace, generally speaking, um, over, you know, the course of seven years, we've, we've bought 46 businesses uh, and there were times where that was faster or slower, but our team has gotten really good at transitioning businesses into our control. And if we could do that about once a month, that's a pace that we can keep up with. More, more than that starts to feel a little bit aggressive and might put too much tax on, on the team. So, um, but we don't, you know, if we go two, three months without closing a business, that's fine. Cause that just means we haven't found businesses that we want to own forever in that, in that period of time. To have an interesting stat for you, did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x, they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. And have there been instances where you've you know, bought a company and then you know, sold it off to some other buyer? There have been a few instances like that. Um, you know, I mentioned we started off just looking for profitable online businesses, and that got us into a whole lot of categories. Um, you know, content sites that made money through ads, membership sites, a little bit of e-commerce, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, as we started to focus more and more on SaaS over the last five years, we've decided to sell off some of those businesses that weren't a strategic fit for us. We've had times where, you know, a strategic buyer will approach us and say, "Hey, you know, I'd like this business, and it's worth more to me than it is to to you." And so we'll we'll go and do that deal. And there's other times where we just sold a business because it didn't quite work out how we expected, and it ended up being, you know, not making much money, and it was just started to become a distraction. So for a lot of reasons, we have sold businesses, but in general, it is not our model to you know what you might call flip businesses like buy it, try to double the value and then sell it to the next you know, highest bidder. Uh, we much prefer buy and hold when it's a business that is in the software space and something that we want to own forever. And when it comes to SaaS businesses, are there any, any sectors or any niches uh, which you feel are, 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 are 
highly profitable and highly scalable and it really fits into the mold of shows of capital yeah well uh we've got uh, several businesses that are in the shopify ecosystem so um you know no surprise most of the world is pretty bullish on shopify and so we're we're no different uh but we're buying the software apps that service shopify store owners um, so we do have a collection of, you know, I think at this point, six or seven businesses in that ecosystem. We have a handful in the sort of process automation space where, you know, you can sell to enterprises and, um, you know, things that were deal with uh, email and documents where basically the, the addressable market is the world because everybody deals with email and documents. Yeah. So we're, we're pretty bullish on, on that space. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you know, we don't focus on a specific sector. You know, if something passes our uh, filtering criteria that I already talked about, then we're in. And there's no sectors that we rule out other than sort of like adult categories or anything, you know, dealing with weapons and things like that. Um, you know, if it's software servicing businesses, mainly small and medium businesses, then we're generally interested. Interesting. And, uh, you know, what do you think are the best ways to use the, the profits of a company to fund growth and acquisition? Sorry, use the profits to fund the growth of an acquisition? Is that what you asked? Uh, yeah, to f- fund uh, organic growth and acquisition for, of more businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the, the way that we think about it is if we buy profitable businesses, um, you know, that, that the profits probably are enough to grow the, the, the given business and they can probably contribute to the war chest to acquire more businesses and something that is, you know, uh, somewhat obvious, but not everybody takes this approach. It's way easier to grow a business that's already growing before you buy it rather than focus on turnarounds. Um, and so, you know, we, we, I'm very much a believer in sort of like portfolio theory where, you know, if you put enough chips on the, on the, the, the table, then, you know, some, some businesses won't work out, but hopefully enough will that the profits can be pooled together. And, you know, if we do our jobs right, then the, the profits from the overall portfolio should be able to fund future acquisitions. But, and, uh, you know, what, what are some of the metrics you look for in a, in a SaaS business? Uh, well, the normal things that you would hear from anybody in terms of like trying to, what they focus on operating their business. So, you know, top line growth, you know, uh, profit margins, churn is obviously a very important thing. Um, you know, look at the entire funnel of customer acquisition. Um, you know, how many customers do we get to the website? How many do we convert to a free trial? How many do we convert of those to a paid customer? What's the lifetime value of those customers? So there isn't any like magic to, to the things that we look at. And I should note that, um, there isn't one size fits all. So in our space, I've already mentioned, we've got Shopify apps, we've got process automation stuff, we've got time and attendance software, uh, all sorts of different niches in our portfolio. We've got a you know, growing portfolio of FinTech type businesses. And the, you know, it, it, I have learned that to just say a blanket number, like we look for 3% churn, that's too specific because the churn in the Shopify space is going to be very different than the churn in the fintech space, which is very different than the process automation space. And so when we are in an industry, we try to understand that industry very closely. And 
every one of our portfolio companies, we look at churn and focus clearly on churn as an example. But what is acceptable churn and what is not varies by industry. And what is the ultimate goal for churn of a given portfolio company is based on that company's history and the industry that it serves. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in the initial terms, you had not raised a, raised a fund uh, to, 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 to scale up, but uh, have you decided to, you know, raise money f- 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 for a fund right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're actively deploying a fund right now. So I mentioned it was myself and four partners that capitalized the company for the early days. And that lasted for, uh, let's see, probably first four or five years that the, the, the Swift has been around. And then, you know, we realized we're pretty good at this and our, our, our partnership group was running out of our ability to keep capitalizing on the opportunity that we saw. And a whole lot of people um, that I got to meet over the years were like, Hey, this is a really cool idea. Can I invest in this thing? So about um, early 2020, we raised our first fund, first fund from outside investors, and we ended up with 67 different individuals contributing to that. Uh, okay, uh, and are they, uh, uh, you know, can a non-accredited investor also invest into your fund, or is it only accredited investors who can invest? Only accredited investors at this time. You know, we looked at some of the different platforms to raise from non-accredited investors, and just um, the the sort of complexity of that. That balanced against like we, we had enough interest from accredited investors, both individuals and institutions that, uh, yeah, we just stuck with that to keep things simple on our side. Got it. And how do you make sure that you are able to make money for investors? Do you, uh, you know, uh, do you have to give a dividend back to uh, the investors because you, it's a prof- uh, you, you buying profitable SaaS companies? Yeah, that's right. So unlike a lot of private equity firms, because our attitude is buy and hold, uh, there is no plan to, you know, deploy the fund and then, you know, grow the fund and then liquidate the fund over time. So because there isn't that long-term liquidation target or goal, we actually distribute some of the profits from the portfolio to investors every month. So they, they give us their, their capital and we start distributing profits monthly. And if we do our jobs right, they'll eventually have all their capital back over a period of years and still own a slice of profitable growing SaaS companies. And Kevin, do you, do you think that there's a, uh, is, there, is there any common theme in, in acquisitions in the last couple of years you've found? A uh, theme for our acquisitions? No, sir. Um, not, re- not really. I mean, well, like other than the things that I said, like we only buy profitable things. There's a selection bias. Like wh- what, ha- what is common of our acquisitions are that, well, it's the things that we look for. They're profitable, they're growing, they're B2B SaaS. Um, and another sort of aspect that we, I've learned over the years is that um, there, there's no, and this, this is probably obvious, but no two deals are the same because no two founders are the same. People sell for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, and only one of them is because they want money. You know, there are a whole lot of other reasons why people sell businesses that, you know, they might be having a baby. They might unfortunately be facing an illness or an illness of a, a spouse or partner. 
Um, you know, business partners occasionally have conflict about what should happen with the business. And one way to resolve conflict is to just sell it. Um, and so, yeah, other than the things that we look for, which we've discussed, you know, every business has its own story because every founder has his or her own story of how they built the business and how that overlaps with their life. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. All right, and uh, you know, uh, there'll be a lot of platforms like MicroAcquire and a few other marketplaces which helps you uh, buy you know, smaller uh, SaaS companies or e-commerce companies. But uh, this is for listeners who want to buy you know, micro SaaS companies uh, or projects. Uh, you know, what, what are some of the questions they need to ask if they're talking to a professional business buyer or somebody who wants to sell their business? Uh, is there, uh, are there any questions they should be aware about? Yeah, I, I really appreciate you asking that question. I'm a big fan of MicroAcquire, which you, you mentioned. Andrew Gazdecki is an investor in our fund. We are an investor in MicroAcquire. Oh. I think it's great for founders to have, and it's not the first platform or marketplace that existed for people to sell. I just think Andrew has a, a great approach to how he's going about it. Um, and uh, I do see, like you would have in any marketplace, uh, varying degrees of professionalism uh, being exhibited. And so on the seller side, let, let's start there. Um, we are very upfront with people about who we are, what our process is, what our experience is. You know, we've acquired 40 plus businesses in seven years, so we know what works and what doesn't. And we are very opinionated about how the process should work because odds are we've bought more businesses than somebody else has ever sold. And so we have we have a, a approach to due diligence. We have approach to letters of intent. We have approach to closing uh, that is totally fair and respectful of a seller. But you know we've learned what works and what doesn't, and so we we take that approach. So for for a seller, I would look for that. And you know it might sound self serving for me to say this, but experience is important. If you're selling to somebody who's never done it before. That's okay. You could, if, if they're the right buyer for your business, you shouldn't run away from that because many people only have the opportunity to acquire one business and then they run it. And not everybody has a portfolio approach like we do. And it's just, you need to be aware of what you're walking into that if both seller and buyer are inexperienced, it could be a rocky road, or you might want to get different help and advice to kind of shepherd the process. Um, from a buyer's perspective, um, I, the, the biggest, the biggest uh, kind of tip I can give people is look for, you know, honesty and integrity and transparency from uh, a seller. You know, we have learned and we have a very firm process in place for, at SureSwift. If we ever start to question a seller's integrity or we think they're misleading us or lying to us, we just walk away from the deal. No questions asked because no matter how good things might look, if we question somebody's honesty, then that probably bleeds into how they've built their business and how they treat their team and their customers. And we don't want any part of that. So I would just say that's a, my, my general best tip for a buyer is you have to feel good about the seller. Um, even if the person's not going to stick around with the business, 
you want to feel like you would want to work with that person over time because businesses take on the personality of their founders for better and for worse. So if you have concerns about the seller of a business, you're probably going to uncover concerns about their business over time. I think that is great advice because a seller needs to be honest and you know, it does take a bit of a time to uh, get the get the trust uh, in uh, for for the buyer to buy the product, buy the business, and uh, you know, uh, I wanted to understand, you know, what is what is the one thing you wish you had known about, or while you were scaling, and you wanted to understand about how to build a culture in the in the company. Um, well, I think I benefited from my time in corporate America from having the ability to lead large teams, grow teams from scratch, think about how to build culture among a team. Um, what I think I underestimated early on was there's this notion that certain online businesses can be sort of passive income. And I learned um, pretty quickly that there is no such thing as passive income. Even a, you know, a business that has sort of embraced the dream of Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, um, every business needs care and feeding, no matter how passive it may appear. Uh, and there were times where we weren't as successful with businesses because we didn't put enough great, smart people on the business early enough and consistently enough. So I, I wish I would have gone in uh, having learned that lesson already. Got it. And um, can we also run an online community, uh, the Founders Summit? Uh, can you talk more about how you went about building a community uh, for, uh, for, for, for SaaS founders? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, I get really excited talking about Founder Summit uh, for a lot of reasons. But the quick story there is we bought a business from a guy named Tyler Tringus. His business was Store Mapper, and he's a proficient blogger. So anybody that wants to hear the whole story behind that can go read Tyler's blog. Um, <clears throat> and then Tyler went on, we, we you know closed on his business, typical story. He helped us for six months, and then he moved on to the, his next thing. Uh, and after a couple of you know, twists, his next thing ended up being uh, running a fund, which is now called Calm Company Fund. And he invests, the tagline is funding for bootstrappers. So he wants to invest early in businesses to give founders a better chance of success with no expectation that they, um, they raise future money. It's just, let's help one another build a profitable business. Um, and so I love the idea. I helped him sort of build out the early notions of what that might look like. And SureSwift was the first and biggest investor in that, uh, that new venture for Tyler. Um, over a course of, you know, let's say about a year, Tyler had invested in um, 14 or 15 companies. And we, in addition to SureSwift, there were 60 or 70 investors in that fund most of whom were bootstrap SaaS founders themselves. And um, not only were they investors, but they were active mentors for the portfolio companies. And, you know, at one point, Tyler and I were catching up via phone. And this whole thing is completely remote. Like nobody's met face-to-face. -face. I've got a remote company. Tyler builds remote companies. Most of the investors are also building remote companies. And we were talking and thinking like, man, it would be really cool to get this group together in person, both the portfolio company founders and the investors. And they were like, wow, that's a, it's a really cool group of people. I bet others would like to attend that thing. And we were like, yeah, let's just make it 
an event and not exclusive to this portfolio and the investors, but kind of centered around that, uh, that group of people and this notion of you can build successful, profitable, potentially remote companies in a way that isn't the growth at all costs, sort of typical VC mindset. And so we had a wonderful plan to get about 120 founders together in Mexico City, um, March 15th of 2020. And you and your listeners will probably remember uh, that week, at least in North America, I think the UK was a little bit uh, ahead of the curve, but um, that was when uh, COVID basically started shutting everything in the world down, certainly in North America. Uh, And so that conference did not happen. We had about 40 people show up early and just kind of hang out in Mexico City. Uh, But we canceled the event due to COVID concerns. And so just recently in um, October of this year, 2021, we were able to reset the event, host about 140 founders and about another 10 to 15 plus ones, you know, spouses, partners, friends in Mexico City for an amazing event. And in the, in the interim, we, since we couldn't hold the event, we said, let's pivot this into an online community. So we've had got up to 500 founders active in a Slack channel and, you know, uh, communicating on a, you know, 24-7, 365 basis. Uh, and like I said, just recently, we were able to reset on the in-person event. So it's, it's a great community that, um, you know, people describe as low ego, but super supportive of one another and people just kind of getting together to try to improve our, our lives and, and build better businesses together and support one another. So that's Founder Summit. You know, I, think, I think that's super interesting. I know about Tyler from Ernest Capital. I don't know it's, it's renamed as Calm, Calm Fund. But, yeah. but they recently rebranded because apparently somebody had a trademark on Ernest Capital that he didn't uncover early in the... In the but so same... Same concept, same company, just recently rebranded. All right, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, uh, can I quickly want to do the top three? What's your favorite business book? Uh, I have several, but um, one that I recently reread that pops to mind is um, Let My People Go Surfing. It's uh, written by the founder and CEO of Patagonia. And I love his approach to balancing uh, life and work. And obviously they've built an amazing, huge, very successful company. And it seems that they've done so with really strong values and treating people really well. And of course, Patagonia treating the environment in which they, they operate really well. So that's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I read the book and I'm, I'm a big fan of a, uh, what, what they are doing. We'll put that in the show notes. And uh, can you, if you could go back in time when you started building show shift capital, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, if I could start over, I wish we would have focused on SaaS right from the get-go and not been distracted by too many different uh, business models. It's And the reason for that is just like, um, I really love software. It's where my experience lay. Um, you know, my experience in corporate America was at a software company. And so I wish, I wish we would have found that earlier. Um, that said, like part of, part of 
and everybody's story is the experiences that they have. So it, it's also possible I needed to experience, you know, content and membership and e-commerce before realizing that SaaS was the right fit for me. Interesting. And do you have any favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Uh, well, it's hard to not be a fan of Zoom, given you know how how prevalent it is in our lives. But um, yeah. actually, the tool, if if I were to actually pay attention to the screen time of my phone, probably Slack is the uh, most important in running our business. You know, we are. I, I think I mentioned we're a remote first team. You know, at this point. In November of 2021, 150 people around the world in 14 time zones in 30 countries. So we operate in a very asynchronous manner. And um, I am able to keep an eye on every portfolio company and communicate with my team around the world via Slack in a way that's convenient for everybody's life and um, you know, not upsetting the life-work balance that we care deeply about. And the tool that you know, really helps us do that the best is Slack. Correct. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And Kevin, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Shows of Capital? Yeah, if you want to know about Shows with Capital, we have a newsletter that goes out the first of the month, every month without exception. And we just try to share what we know and help founders, um, you know, grow their businesses and, and, and live better lives to whatever degree we can. Uh, so if you go to shirtswithcapital.com, you'll see a pop-up to join our newsletter. If you want to connect with me, Twitter is the best place to do that. I'm Kevin underscore McArdle on Twitter. Uh, and I love interacting with founders and entrepreneurs of all backgrounds and all stages of business. And, you know, just hearing people's stories and, and like I said, learning from one another and trying to help one another succeed. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for taking your time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. I enjoyed it too. Thanks a lot, Rohit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.